Chapter Eight of the Millionaire Baby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Millionaire Baby by Anna K. Green. Chapter Eight. Philo, Philo, Philo. Never have I felt a weirder sensation than when I stepped from the cars onto the solitary platform from which a few hours before I had seen the little nursery governess depart for New York. The train soon disappeared in the darkness of the long perspective. Was all that gave life and light to the scene, and when it was gone, nothing remained to relieve the gloom or to break the universal stillness, save the quiet lap of the water and the moaning of the wind through the trees which climbed the heights to Homewood. I had determined to enter, if possible, by way of the private path, though I expected to find it guarded against such intrusion. In approaching it, I was given a full view of the river, and thus was in a position to note that the dock and the adjoining banks were no longer bright with lanterns in the hands of eager men bending with fixed eyes over the flowing waters. The search which had kept so many busy at this spot for well on to two days had been abandoned, and the darkness seemed doubly dark and the silence doubly oppressive in contrast. Yet hope spoke in the abandonment, and with renewed spirit and a more than lively courage, I turned toward the little gate through which I had passed twice before that day. As I expected, a silent figure rose up from the shadows to prevent me, but it fell back at the mention of my name and business, thus proving the man to be in the confidence of Mrs. Ocumpa, or at least in that of Miss Porter. I am come for a social chat with the coachman, I explained. Lights burn late in such extensive stables. Don't worry about me. The people at the house are in sympathy with my investigation. Thus we stretch the truth at great crises. I know you, was the answer, but keep away from the house. Our orders are imperative to allow no one to approach it again tonight, except with the child in hand. Or with such news as would gain instant admission. Trust me, said I, and I went up the steps. It was so dark between the hedgerows that my ascent became mere groping. I had a lantern in my pocket which I had taken from Jupp, but I did not choose to make use of it. I preferred to go on and up, trusting to my instinct to tell me when I had reached a fresh flight of steps. A gleam of light from Mrs. Carew's upper windows was the first intimation I received that I was at the top of the bank, and in another moment I was opposite the gap in the hedge opening upon her grounds. For no particular reason that I know of, I here paused and took a survey of what was, after all, nothing but a cluster of shadows, broken here and there by squares of subdued light I felt a vague desire to enter. To see and to talk again with the charming woman whose personality had made such an impression upon me, if only to understand the peculiar feelings which those indistinguishable walls awakened, and why such a sense of anticipation should disturb my admiration of this woman, and the delight which I had experienced in every accent of her trained and exquisite voice. I was standing very still in almost total darkness. The shock, therefore, was great when, in finally making up my mind to move, I became conscious of a presence near me, totally indiscernible and as silent as myself. Whose? 
no watchman or he would have spoken at the rustle i made stumbling back against the hedgerow some marauder then or a detective like myself i would not waste time in speculating better to decide the question at once for the situation was eerie the person whoever he was stood so near and so still and so directly in the way of my advance drawing the lantern from my pocket i pushed open the slide and flashed the light on the immovable figure before me the face i beheld staring into mine was one quite unknown to me but as i took in its expression my arm gradually fell and with it the light from the man's features till face and form were lost again in the darkness leaving in my disturbed mind naught but an impression but such an impression the countenance thus flashed upon my vision must have been a haunting one at any time but seen as i saw it at a moment of extreme self-abandonment the effect was startling yet i had sufficient control over myself to utter a word or two of apology which was not answered if it was even heard a more exact description may be advisable the person whom i thus encountered hesitating before mrs carew's house was a man of meagre build sloping shoulders and handsome but painfully pinched features that he was a gentleman of culture and the nicest refinement was evident at first glance that this culture and refinement were at this moment under the dominion of some fierce thought or resolve was equally apparent giving to his look an absorption which the shock attending the glare i had thus suddenly thrown on to his face could not immediately dispel dazed by an encounter for which he seemed even less prepared than myself he stood with his heart in his face if i may so speak and only gradually came to himself as the sense of my proximity forced itself upon his suffering and engrossed mind when i saw that he had quite emerged from his dream i dropped the light but i did not forget his look i did not forget the man though i hastened to leave him in my desire to fulfill the purpose for which i had entered these grounds at so late an hour my plan was as i have said to visit the ocumpa stables and have a chat with the coachman i had no doubt of my welcome and not much doubt of myself yet as i left the vicinity of mrs carew's cottage and came upon the great house of the ocumpas looming in the moonlight above its marbled terrace i felt impressed as never before by both the beauty and magnificence of the noble pile and shrank with something like shame from the presumption which had led me to pit my wits against a mystery having its birth in so much grandeur and material power the prestige of great wealth as embodied in this superb structure well-nigh awed me from my task and i was passing the twin pergolas and flower-bordered walks with hesitating foot when i heard through one of the open windows a cry which made me forget everything but our common heritage of sorrow and the equal hold it had on high and low philo the voice rang out in misery to wring a heart of the most callous philo philo mr ocumpa's name called aloud by his suffering wife was it delirium it would seem so but why philo always philo and not once gwendolen with hushed steps 
ears ringing and heart palpitating with a new and indefinable sensation, I turned into the road to the stables. There were men about, and I caught one glimpse of a maid's pretty head looking from one of the rear windows, but no one stopped me, and I reached the stable just as a man came sauntering out to take his final look at the weather. It was the fellow I sought, Thomas the coachman. I had not miscalculated the nature of my man. In ten minutes we were seated together on an open balcony, smoking and beguiling the time with a little harmless gossip. After a free and easy discussion of the great event, mingled with the naturally-to-be-expected criticism of the police, we proceeded under my guidance to those particulars for which I had risked losing this very valuable hour. He mentioned Mrs. Ocumpa. I mentioned Mrs. Carew. A beautiful woman, I remarked. I thought he looked astonished. She, beautiful, was his doubtful rejoinder. What do you think of Mrs. Ocumpa? She is handsome, too, but in a different way. I should think so. I've driven rich and I've driven poor. I've even sat on the box in front of an English duchess. But never have I seen such features as Mrs. Ocumpa's. That's why I consent to drive an American millionaire's wife, when I might be driving the English nobility. A statue, said I, cold. True enough but one you never tire of looking at. Besides, she can light up wonderfully. I have seen her when she was all a-quiver, and lovely as the loveliest. And when do you think that was? When she had her child in her arms? I spoke in lowered tones, as befitted the suggestion and the circumstances. No, he drawled, between thoughtful puffs of smoke, when Mr. Ocumpa sat on the seat beside her, this when I was driving the Victoria. I often used to make an excuse for turning my head about, so as to catch a glimpse of her smile at some fine view, and the way she looked up at him to see if he was enjoying it as much as she. I like women who love their husbands. And he? Oh, she has nothing to complain of in him. He worships the ground she walks on, and more than worships the child." Here his voice fell. I brought the conversation back as quickly as I could to Mrs. Carew. "'You like pale women,' said I. "'Now I like a woman who looks plain one minute and perfectly charming the next.' "'That's what people say of Mrs. Carew. I know of lots who admire that kind. The little girl, for one.' "'Gwendolen? Was she attracted to Mrs. Carew?' "'Attracted?' I've seen her go to her from her mother's lap like a bird to its nest. Many a time have I driven the carriage with Mrs. Ocumpa sitting up straight inside, and her child curled up in the other woman's arms with not a look or word for her mother. How did Mrs. Ocumpa seem to like that? I asked between puffs of my cigar. Oh, she's one of the cold ones, you know. At least you say so. But... I feel sure that the last three years, that is, ever since this woman came into the neighborhood, her heart has been slowly breaking. This last blow will kill her. I thought of the moaning cry of Philo, Philo, which at intervals I still seemed to hear issue from the upper window in the great house, and felt that there might be truth in his fears. 
but it was of Mrs. Carew I had come to talk, and not of Mrs. Ocumpa. "'Children's fancies are unaccountable,' I sententiously remarked. "'But perhaps there is some excuse for this one. "'Mrs. Carew has what you call a magnetic personality, "'a personality which I should imagine would be very appealing to a child. "'I never saw such expression in a human face. "'Whatever her mood, she impresses each passing feeling upon you "'as the one reality of her life.' I cannot understand such changes, but they are very fascinating. Oh, they are easy to understand in her case. She was an actress once. I myself have seen her on the stage, in London. I used to admire her there. An actress, I repeated, somewhat taken aback. Yes, I forgot what name she played under, but she's a very great lady now in with all the swells and rich enough to own a yacht if she wanted to but a widow oh yes a widow i let a moment of silence pass then nonchalantly remarked why is she going to europe but this was too much for my simple-hearted friend he neither knew nor had any conjecture ready but i saw that he did not deplore her resolve his reason for this presently appeared if the little one is found, the mother will want all her caresses. Let Mrs. Carew hug the boy that God in his mercy has thrown into her arms, and leave other children to their mothers. I rose to leave when I bethought me and stopped to ask another question. Who is the gentleman I have seen about here? A man with a handsome face, but very pale and thin in his appearance, so much so that it is quite noticeable. "'Do you mean Mr. Rathbone?' "'I do not know his name. "'A light-complexioned man "'who looks as if greatly afflicted "'by some disease or secret depression. "'Oh, that is Mr. Rathbone, sure. "'He is sickly-looking enough, "'and not without his trouble, too. "'They say, but it's all gossip, of course, "'that he has set his heart on the widow. "'Mrs. Carew? "'Of course, who else? "'And she?' Why, she would be a fool to care for him, unless... Unless what? Thomas laughed, a little uneasily, I could not help thinking. I'm afraid we're talking scandal, said he. You know the relationship? What relationship? Why, his relationship to the family. He is Gwendolen's cousin, and I have heard it said that he's named after her in Madame Ocumpa's will. "'Oh, I see. The next heir, eh?' "'Yes, to the Rathbone property.' "'So that if she's not found, "'your sickly man in that case would be well worth the marrying. "'Is Mrs. Carew so fond of money as all that? "'I thought she was a woman of property.' "'She is, but it takes money to make some men interesting. "'He isn't handsome enough or independent enough "'to go entirely on his own merits.' Besides, he has a troop of relatives hanging on to him, bloodsuckers who more than eat up his salary. A businessman, then? Yes, in some New York house. He was always very fond of Gwendolen, and I am not surprised to hear that he is very much cut up by our trouble. I always thought well of Mr. Rathbone myself, which same ended the conversation, so far as my interest in it was concerned. End of chapter 8